When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today I'm going to look at a prophetic chapter from Habakkuk, and we're going to talk about it. And hopefully you'll feel some encouragement that God is not always silent. Well, not forever anyway. So from whatever watch you are keeping, whatever wall you are standing on, uh, this message is for you. Among all the people that longed for the coming of the Messiah, the minor prophets are chief among them. They longed for the coming of the Messiah because it was an event that would bring about restoration from the destruction of judgment that was coming. The judgment had to come, but the Messiah would come and reverse that judgment and make a kingdom of peace forever. And that's the recurring theme of the minor prophets and all the prophets, but especially the minor prophets. If you only have a few minutes to speak on the national microphone, uh, like the minor prophets do, they hit it hard and they say their point and get off the stage. Uh, they do this in really profound ways. And here we have an example of one of these very quick messages. He says he's standing at the watch post on the rampart. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had to keep watch. Uh, when I was in the Marine Corps, we kept fire watch every night. We'd all have a two-hour guard shift that we would pull in the barracks or the squad bay, as we called them. And you would get a broom or a mop and you'd walk around pushing the broom or the mop, like one of those big dust mops, you know, like six feet wide. And you'd kind of like just steer that around the squad bay perimeter and then down the middle and then through the rest of the head to the bathrooms and then back to the laundry room and then back out to the main room. And you just do that for two hours, keeping watch um, because somebody had to be up. Somebody had to watch. Keeping watch is really hard when you're tired. Um, in the temple of in Jerusalem, they, we have a record of the temple guards when they were keeping watch. If they were to sleep, it was the, the sergeant who was in charge of the watch who would go from post to post to check on each watchman uh, was allowed to light their clothes on fire if he caught anyone sleeping. So that might keep you awake. Um, but keeping watch is hard. It's hard to stay awake when everybody else is sleeping and you're tired yourself. You've done just as much as everybody else has during the day. And if you've ever worked a night shift, you know there's a certain kind of exhaustion that comes from that, a certain kind of uh, disassociation maybe even, or being out of sync with the rest of the world. Um, it, is, it is difficult. It takes a toll on people. And that's what the prophet is doing. He says, I will stand by my watch post. I'll keep watch to see what God will say to me. God does speak to people in the night, probably more than in the daytime. At least that's the witness of scripture. Abraham goes out and looks at the stars at night, and that's when God speaks to him. Um, so many have contemplated the wonders of God at night, and God has spoken to them. And the watchman, this prophet, says, I want to do it too. I want to wait for this answer from God, because the prophet has given his complaint. Uh, even yesterday, someone told me uh, that they, they, they can't really be honest with God that you can't really be angry at God. What if I were to be angry at God? What would happen? 
Um, and this person was in a severe state of distress um, and still questioning whether they could be angry at God. And of course, the answer is always, well, what, what worse thing could God do to you than what's already happened? Uh, you know, like, what are you going to, what are you worried about? If you're angry at God and God does something worse to you, how could it get any worse? Um, and is that really a concern at this point? And yet we live in a world where people feel like they can't complain to God. If you think about all your complaints in life, the things that you're not happy about, the things that bother you and trouble you about the world, about other people, about yourself, um, you can blame various people for those things. Um, you can blame your parents. You can blame uh, other people that have done you wrong. And there's, there's truth to all those placing blame on all those people. And even on yourself, you want to blame yourself for some troubles you've had. You can do that as well. And there's always some truth to those sorts of blames. And um, and there's always a shallowness to it because ultimately those people that did us wrong and hurt us had people hurt them and mistreat them. And so the chain of hurt and mistreatment goes on and on and on and on. And the blame game just keeps going back and back and back, pointing the finger at the last person to come into the room all the way back to Adam and Eve. And you can blame them for this mess that we're in. And you can blame the devil and you can blame everybody, but ultimately it all kind of goes back to God. That all our complaints have to circle back around to the God who made us, who created us the way we are. And that's what the prophet is doing. His complaint is going to God and God hasn't answered him. So he's going to sit a watch. He's going to set up on the, on the, on the, the wall and wait for this answer to come. And many of us are sitting on the wall waiting for the answer today from God. Why, God? Um, Jesus is on the cross crying this out as well. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a question, this complaint to God. And it is the mark of faith. The mark of faith or the sign of faith in a person's life, especially in a difficult time, is this question to God, this complaint to God. God is not like us. God listens to our complaints. Um, we are l much more hesitant to hear complaints as human beings than God is to hear our complaints. And God will answer, but God hasn't answered yet. And yet when God does answer the prophet, he says, write this down. Get a tablet of clay, I imagine, maybe of stone, some sort of tablet. Could be some other writing device. And write it in plain letters so a runner may read it. Now, you could take this two different ways. Um, one is that write it really, really small on a really tiny tablet so that a runner can, like, read it while he's running. I don't know. That sounds the less plausible interpretation of this. Or write it with such big letters and so simply that if a person were running by the billboard or the sign... They could read it in one flash. I kind of like that interpretation better. It's like, we just want one word from God. This one statement. Um, and God says, keep it simple. There's still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end. It does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. This is the message that is to be written. That God will answer the complaint. God will answer the questions. God will answer 
the cry of our little human lives to God. God will answer. God will come. God will be there for us. And that is what Jesus has done for us. In the incarnation, Jesus has come and lived among us. He has become one of us. So this complaint to God, where are you? When will this happen? Um, Is answered in the person of Jesus Christ. Answered in that little baby in Bethlehem. Answered in that young man going into the waters of baptism in the Jordan River with John the Baptist. Answered when he's in his trial, are you the Christ, the Messiah? He says, you said it, you say it. And answered on the cross when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is one of us. He is with us. Emmanuel, God, with us. And then ultimately answered in his resurrection where he comes back to life. And this is the answer of all of our questions too. When will it get better? When will we see the promises of God? We will see them in the person of Jesus Christ, in the manger, on the cross, and in the empty tomb, and in glory ruling from heaven on the right hand of God. That is the answer that God gives us in his own son. The answer is a person, and he loves you, and he died for you, and he rose from the dead for you. Amen. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. O Lord, show thy mercy upon us, and grant us thy salvation. Endue thy ministers with righteousness, and make thy chosen people joyful. Give peace, O Lord, in all the world, for only in thee can we live in safety. Lord, keep this nation under thy care, and guide us in the way of justice and truth. Let thy way be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. Let not the needy, O Lord, be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor be taken away. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and sustain us with thy Holy Spirit. The Collect for this week. Purify our conscience, Almighty God, by your daily visitation, that your Son, Jesus Christ, at his coming, may find in us a mansion prepared for himself who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And today is the Feast of St. Thomas the Apostle. Uh, Thomas is a twin. He's called a twin in the Bible. Uh, Not sure if he's a twin because he looks like Jesus. Some people say that's why he's called a twin, because he's like identical to Jesus' looks. Um, Or he's called a twin because he has a twin a brother that everybody kind of knows him by and maybe is switching. Um, The best sermon I ever heard on Thomas was that when you're a twin, which I have twin cousins that are identical, people never know who you are. They're always guessing. They're always easily fooled. If you say, I'm Johnny, they believe you're Johnny. And if you say, I'm Jimmy, the other twin, they believe you're Jimmy. They really can't tell most of the time um, which twin you are. And so Thomas, growing up like this, um, knew how easy it was to fool people. He knew how quickly we are fooled by appearances and illusions. 
And so when he comes to Jesus' resurrection and these reports of Jesus rising from the dead, he's skeptical because he knows how stupid people are, how easily fooled people are. So he says, I want to I wanna touch you know, the wounds in his hand. I want to put my hand in his side. I want to see myself and touch and feel if it's really Jesus um, back from the dead because you can't just know if somebody's them by looking at them. That's not enough. You've got to like find the identifying marks, kind of like, um, kind of like parents that have twins um, often will change their, put different diapers on them and things like that so they know which baby is which. <laughs> um, I've heard several cases of uh, switcheroos at right after birth. But, uh, so you, you look at birthmarks and different things that are subtle differences on kids to know which one is which, even when they're babies. And so um, we celebrate this, this uh, saint who is not just, not the, not doubting Thomas, but Thomas the twin, Thomas that wants to go one step further and investigate for himself if Jesus is who he says he is after his resurrection. So we want to have that kind of faith like Thomas. And this prayer shows that Thomas is a man of faith, not a man of doubt. Ever-living God, who strengthened your apostle Thomas with firm and certain faith in your son's resurrection, grant us so perfectly and without doubt to believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God, that our faith may never be found wanting in your sight, through him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. By church tradition, Thomas went to India, um, which was not too far-fetched in the Roman world to travel that far. And there in India, he founded a church um, that is still named today after him, the Mar Thoma, Thomas by the Sea Church, which is in the Anglican Communion. We are in communion with Mar Thoma, the Church of India um, that Thomas founded. And they have in their church, in their cathedral, the spear point that killed St. Thomas, um, similar to the way our Lord was killed on the cross, or at least after his death was stabbed in the side with a spear, and Thomas uh, bears that wound as well, the wound that he wanted to put um, in his hand into in Jesus. And that spear wound of Christ is a symbol of the church. The church is the spear wound of Christ, the womb from which we are born from his side. Um, the blood and the water that flowed from it is, is the place that we hide in, in, in his own body there on the cross. We pray a colic for mission on 58. O God, who hast made of one blood all the peoples of the earth, and didst bless thy and did send thy blessed Son to preach peace to those who are far off and those who are near. Grant that people everywhere may seek after thee and find thee. Bring the nations into thy fold, pour out thy spirit upon all flesh, and hasten the coming of thy kingdom through the same thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.